0: about ten days after 9-11 I went to the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld. and he says we've made the decision we're going to war with Iraq uh, I said well did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to Al Qaeda he said is it that he guess. says there's nothing
1: new that way there they I just am. made the decision to go to war with Iraq he said I
0: guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists but We've got a good military and we can take down governments. So I came back to see him a few weeks later, and by that time we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's
1: worse than that. He said, I just got this down from upstairs, I meeting the Secretary of Defense Office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. I declare
2: war, nickname he sell raw Different city, same ghetto, bring the wolves on tour Push start, drop top, 812, two door Baby rope, Ben's coat, cool, bitch, He gotta choose yours How could I not, Woo! how could I not When the bricks 36, bitch, how could I stop These Richard Mills are one of one Shit, how could I watch We made it, we made it, whether you like it or not.
0: Nigga, we made it. Uh, Nigga, we made it, we made it. uh, Nigga, we made it. uh, Thank God that I made it. uh, Nigga, we made it, we made it. uh, Look, mama, I made it. uh,
2: (laughs) Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find us on the No Way Jose YouTube channel all the major odd pod catchers, Odyssey, I guess, that still exists, and Rumble as well. Uh, really trying to push the Rumble. Go go follow me on Rumble because uh, I'm not destined long for YouTube. Uh, with that being said, I do want to let the audience know since I won't be uh, – I probably won't drop – I might drop something on uh, on Patreon, but this one, I'm so sketched about it that uh, I might not even drop a Patreon. But I, uh, my buddy, Tim Tuttle, who's in the chat, we're going to be uh, covering a – uh, the big, big no-no of politics, or parapolitics, that, uh, the big one who got Alex Jones nuked. But I want to talk about it, just because there's always been something that interests me. I definitely don't have that it-didn't-happen take, but, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe he convinced me. I don't think he has that take either, but I'm just letting you guys know, so keep an eye out for that. That will only be on Rumble, definitely not on YouTube. Uh, but today I have two great guests. I have Adam Fitzgerald and Liam Cosgrove. We're going to be talking about the Israel-Palestine stuff. Uh, also going to touch on you know, what's going on with Ukraine. Uh, this is a live stream. Normally, I don't do live streams, but I do occasionally for things like current events or like the Four Pony Boys series. I do, uh, and you know, with the Israel Palestine stuff, I don't want to save this for a week later. I feel like this is important information now to keep people up to date. What's going on? Uh, kind of inform people. I've been noticing a lot of people are kind of eyes are opening to the larger context of all the stuff here, and not just believing all the lies. But I do want to remind you guys: if you do want to get early content, most of the time the stuff is paywall that gets released about a week later. But if you want to get early, uh, you gotta be a patron at patreon.com. Just no way Jose 2020. Uh, use, oh, actually, almost, almost slid right into my fucking top loves to uh, plug. But yeah, if that's if you want to get early content, that's the place to do it. Uh, I do want to recognize my sponsors real quick. The lowest level is two bucks, but the highest level is my sponsors, and I just give them a shout out every episode. I have Toad, who's my uh, co-host on Tower Gang. Uh, Follow him on Twitter, at Tower Gang Toad. I also have, at Abrogate D's. then Kevin B. Clark, a full-time guitarist and private music teacher in the New York area. If you need someone for a gig, or you need someone teaching music in the New York area, he's your guy. Then, at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K, then also, at underscore Infinite Zeal. Yeah, enough of that. Let's go ahead and get these guys into it. I'll let them introduce themselves one by one. Uh, Liam's new to the show. Uh, go ahead let people know who you are, what you're about.
1: Hey guys. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me, Jose. So I'm a reporter for the gray zone, which is, a a mostly foreign policy focused media outlet founded by Max Blumenthal, who, um, I've never met in person, but he seems like a very cool guy. And, um, I joined him after getting fired from the Epic times, uh, for pushing against the foreign policy agenda too much. They're kind of, of the neocon variety. Um, we can get into that story later, but I, I'm very happy where I am at, at, gray zone right now. So, um, that's basically it. You guys can follow me there on the Twitter, on the Twitter tag at the bottom left.
2: It's funny. I think, uh, I, I want to say it's Epic times as well, but my buddy Ken Silva, I think got fired from there as well. Uh, oh, you're kidding. So, yeah. For pushing a story. You guys, I don't think he's able to talk about all of it cause there's an NDA involved, but
1: yeah, I probably shouldn't either, but I just kind of do it anyways. <laughs> you, you should put me in touch with him though. I'd be, I'd be interested to talk to him.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll definitely pass over his information because I, I want to say it's epic times. I'm like 98% sure. But, uh, I mean, I could just be um, remember that wrong. But I remember it was something about uh, he was investigating someone that had something to do with the OKC stuff back in the day that uh, now was, was at one point the head of some, like, uh, uh, terrorist organization. I'm forgetting the names, and, uh, and you know, I'll kick myself in the butt later. But essentially he's, like, now working for NASA, kind of implying, like, I think this guy may have been a Fed the whole yeah, time.
1: No, really <laughs> yeah, I tr- I pushed. Mine wasn't for one of those, but I pushed many stories like that, 9-11 related. Um, e- even OKC, I remember when you went on Dave Smith, CNN, like right after, did a story on it. And I, I told them, like, guys, look at this. Even CNN's doing it. Can I do one on this? And all those were Stonewall. That wasn't why I was fired, but I did deal with that a lot. Yeah.
2: Uh, but, all right, I want to bring on the next guest. Uh, he's been on before, but I did remind you guys, uh, this is pertinent to the topic today, uh, I am rescheduling my uh, debate with Dave Smith and Austin Peterson. That is looking like, tentatively, it'll be next Thursday the 2nd. Uh, I'm waiting for Dave to confirm Austin's good for that date. Uh, but, yeah, he, uh, we had to reschedule it, and uh, that will be a live stream as well, just because, once again, the nature of it, uh, we're going to be covering kind of anti or you know anti-interventionalism, uh, kind of from a libertarian perspective, and so I think that uh, that it will be interesting. I'm very biased, so I'm just you know heads up. Anyone who's, uh, I will do my best not insert my bias in that debate. But let's bring Adam on. Hey, Adam, how are you? Glad to have you back. You want to let the audi- remind the audience who you are, uh, what kind of research you're looking to, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, hey, uh, glad to be here, Jose, Liam, um, Adam Fitzgerald. I'm the co-host of the Darkened Hour, which is a 9-11 themed podcast uh, where we interview former intelligence officials and foreign policy analysts. Um, and it's easy to find me. Actually, just Google my name and put 9-11 and I'm pretty much everywhere. And um, that's about it.
2: Awesome. Uh, glad to have you guys here. Just the uh, live chat know I will do my best. I'm not monetized, so there's no super chats. I lost the monetization a while back for making what seems to be sympathetic to them, statements of the, uh, the southern portion of a huge civil conflict we had a couple hundred years ago. Uh, although I don't even really, like, I'm from the north. I just said I kind of supported their right to, you know, walk away if they wanted. But anyways, that's beside the point. But what I'm trying to let you guys know is just if you have any questions, drop in the chat. I'll try to pay attention. Uh, you know, if you are a patron, I give you guys a code, but I'll do my best to try to, you know, pay attention to any good, good questions and bring them up if there are any. But we're here today to talk about, you know, all things foreign policy. I guess, I think the hot topic right now is all the, I guess, misinformation. Uh, but then the irony is I have seen a lot of stuff. There was, I want to say there was something from like the EU where they put out something about misinformation related to the Israel, Gaza stuff. Uh, which, you know, obviously they were meaning misinfo and then not lining up with the establishment view, whereas I've seen, I've noticed the exact opposite, especially from the beginning. It seemed to be all the propaganda was very not well vetted and always seemed to be in the favor of Israel, which, don't get me wrong, this was in, in, the, in relation to a... Oh, someone's saying my mic is low. I'll have to fuck with that in a minute. But uh, that was in relation to an attack that was fucked, but don't get me wrong. They were, like, playing it up. There was all this atrocity porn that was coming out, trying to milk the emotions. A lot of people were, like, pointing out that's, that doesn't seem legit. There was the 40-bedded babies. There was uh, some video that was going around that they were saying terrorists were going door-to-door when it was actually an IDF video. There was, you know, there was uh, Israeli kids in cages come to find out that was some old Palestinian thing. Uh, and, and then, ultimately, I think that culminated the most recent one was probably the hospital thing. Uh, I, I guess we'll just kind of start with what are your thoughts in general and just kind of the, the state of the information warfare that is occurring. Cause I, I find it very interesting either, or of, either one of you can take that,
1: William. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen a good amount of it. I've seen a little on both sides. I've seen like, like obviously when you go on Twitter, you're going to find people posting fake shit on both sides of the war. But what's interesting is, I mean, there's not really an official that I've followed, at least on Twitter, like an official Palestine um, uh, Twitter account. And if there is, it just doesn't get the kind of following that Israel's does and the IDF does. Um, I saw a few. I mean, the gray zone covered the beheaded babies thing. That was just a claim that was originated from one IDF soldier. And then a journalist who did did not see the babies herself just started spreading the claim. That's as far as I know. That's the only evidence that there were beheaded babies. Um, there are for sure dead babies on both sides. Um, there are many more dead Palestinian babies as of now. Um, a- another big piece of misinformation was the weird phone call that they, the IDF, claimed to intercept between Hamas fighters, and they post this thing. I mean, on its face, it was kind of ridiculous because it's like this phone call where they're like, "Oh shit, we accident." This was about the hospital bombing. And it's like, you're, you're supposed to believe these Hamas fighters are like having this phone call, like, ah, fuck, dude, we, we bombed the hospital by accident. And then like the other guy on the phone's like, oh, really? Like, he's like, yeah, we fired it right from the graveyard next door on its face. Ridiculous conversation. But you can, you can even prove that it's false by just checking what the IDF says was footage of the rocket being fired. And you can tell it's like a mile apart where the rocket fires from where it lands. Who knows if that's the rocket, but the IDF is saying it is, um, And then the graveyard that they're talking about in the call, you can look up on Google Maps and it's right next door to the hospital. So the IDF uh, propaganda was contradicting itself just in the same day. Um, And I know there was was another example where they showed a video of a rocket, a different rocket. They deleted it uh, or they edited out that video minutes later because they realized, oh, shit, this wasn't, this actually, this also kind of, disprove what we were trying to say. So clearly there's people on these Twitter accounts who will just spit out whatever's in their favor. I mean that's no surprise that governments you know lie when it's in their interest, they tell the truth when it's in their interest, but they don't really care whether it's a lie or a truth. they're just gonna say what's in their interest. So you got to be skeptical of all governments um, and particularly uh, I am skeptical of my own government and in, in Israel for sure in this war because they're allied. so um, those are just a couple examples.
2: Yeah, I do. I do find it funny that uh, the the thing we get thrown a lot around a lot is moral equivalence, and and it's like there there's this. I feel like there's this instinctive thing they want to push to where like anything that's government particularly Israel or USA, you're supposed to side towards them. Because the idea is like, we're looking at this, obviously it's not as simple as two sides of information coming out. There's there's other parties involved. But generally speaking, they do try to boil it down to this binary. And it's like, are you just really going to accept all of Hamas's propaganda? And if I'm going to be f- completely honest, I'm either pretty much neutral in my deference to where the information is coming from, whether Hamas or Israel, or in, I mean, this some people may take this out of context, but if anything, I might lean a little bit towards them sometimes in their intel because of the fact that like I understand what Israel is, I understand how governments operate, and the 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 way like they're they're going to skew the information in their the. Then they have the capability to as well, whereas Hamas doesn't really have that same sort of capability to put the spin on it like a government like Israel or like any first world government in general might have. Uh, Adam, you have any thoughts?
0: Well, I mean, I think this was uh, actually expected that you had both sides that would actually try to win over the minds and hearts of the people who have to sympathize with the atrocities that are going to take place in the present and in the future. And in order to do that, you have to paint the side of the oppressor as some sort of terrorist or some sort of uh, oppressor. Well, in this case, they're both right and they're both wrong. Uh, and there's a spokesman for the Al-Qasim Al-Din Brigades called Abu Abeda, who basically is also their propaganda uh, mill, and basically has uh, published a lot of papers and a lot of uh, talks about uh threatening Israeli hostages with death if the military incursion uh, continues into Gaza City with more uh, with more casualties. Um, but at the same time, while the American media runs away with this and basically says, oh, you see, this is how Hamas operates, they're willing to kill hostages. At the same time, the Israeli military, while they spoke, whoever is speaking to the media at that time, is actually dropping iron f- fragmentation bombs on a civilian household, killing 50 people, where half of them are children. Now, the only difference is that the beheading is actually more gruesome, more, more visceral, but a bombing actually kills more people and actually kills indiscriminately. So who turns out worse for where here? Well, in terms of the numbers, like Iam basically said, in terms of numbers, there is no, uh, no comparison. Israel is basically killing a lot more people than Hamas has killed. And at this point, it's not about basically wiping out Hamas. Because if that was the case, the U.S. military wouldn't have been sending the Gerald Ford warships over the Mediterranean. That's a a warning sign to Hezbollah and to Lebanon and, of course, to Iran saying that we are watching your next steps. But also at the same time, um, Israel uh, is trying to instigate uh, the, not Hamas, but also by Hezbollah and the others who are in Syria, Lebanon and Iran. To engage in war because that's what they ultimately want, and that's not me saying, and it's Netanyahu's cabinet. And in December of 2022, uh, he appointed some of the most uh, nefarious, most racist nationalist minds ever in Israel's history, and that's saying something compared in Israel's uh, Zionist history in terms of government. Uh, Yohan Gallant, the defense minister, for example, or even worse, uh, Ben Gabir, who's the defense minister, uh, basically has come right out and says, we need to kill as many Palestinians as possible. Um, at the same time, uh, the American, uh, American press and the legacy media, along with the government is basically turning into a deaf, deaf ears and deaf eyes only because they know full well that, you know, they're not held to the same standards as everybody else. Like I said in previous videos and update news is that Israel and the United States, are one of two of only seven, I think seven or eight countries on the face of the earth that are not co-signers of the international criminal courts, the Rome statutes, where they could be tried with war crimes and crimes against humanity and others. Um, so they can get away. And that's why they conduct most of the atrocities you see in the, in, in the world. But um, the propaganda arm of each has been uh, overdrive, where the, Israel has a benefit added to this, is that they have the United States on their side. And that's a huge ally. The Hamas does not. They have nothing else. So it's just basically they they can only reach a certain amount of people online with their um, with their propaganda. But the United States and Israel, well, they got the whole world. Uh, Just take a look at the legacy media and you see it's only one sided especially here in the States with the conservative media being suddenly the anti-war voices of Ukraine suddenly do a 180 and basically become uh, pro-war with Israel.
2: Yeah, uh, I have a, someone in the chat said, uh, why do the IDF use the same rockets as Hamas that whistle when hospitals are blown up? I think, I, I mean, maybe you, it sounds like you follow this pretty well, Alima. Maybe you answered this already. I don't know if we came to a conclusion on who did what, but I know later that the the, the hospital one, I feel like, functionally became remembered as like a blight upon the face of people questioning any Israel, you know, information uh, because the idea was that we didn't inflexively just, you know, go with whatever they said. Uh, but, you know, it was one of those, like, don't trust your ears, don't trust your eyes. I know the videos and a lot of stuff coming out initially were like, this doesn't seem to co- corroborate with it being IDF missiles, or not IDF, but Hamas missiles. Um, and, you know, obviously the whistle that we heard in that video, um, what... And I think, like you're saying, there's a whole lot more to it. Their intel was all over the place, so it's not really the flex they think it is. Uh, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on that one. Do, do we know exactly or do we have a better idea of what the hell even happened? Because I know it looked like it hit the parking lot the following day and everyone was, you know, leaping. All the, the propagandists were leaping for joy of like, look, you idiots, <laughs> you didn't believe us. Uh, I'll, I'll pass it off to you.
1: Yeah, no, so there's actually, a, there's a lot of good points to talk about with that hospital bombing that I kind of forgot to get into. Um, to, to, the, the guy's question in the chat, I don't know what, to, I, you're, I'm not the guy for like, what artillery shell that was the whistling. I will say on the whistling video, though, um, unless like someone edited it for the for the um, benefit of the viewer to have the sound synced with the explosion, there was zero delay in that video from the whistle, from the explosion to the sound of the guy with the camcorder hearing it. So to me, I and I watched that, and, and no one really caught this. I didn't see anyone talking about it. But normally, of course, when an explosion is far away, there's at least a little delay. So I was a little suspect about that video in the first place. Like someone might have added that, that audio afterwards. Um, Jose, what you were talking about in the hospital bombing, who ultimately did it, um, I saw decent points from both sides. My, my conclusion though, is that Israel did it because the most compelling here's, here's, here's what the most compelling, um, argument that it was Hamas that I heard was made. It was the crater on the ground in the parking lot. People said, Oh, look, it's only one meter deep, which is more indicative of an artillery strike as opposed to an airstrike would have been more like six meters deep. And at first I was kind of like, Oh, that actually, yeah, that's actually a pretty good point. Um, but, what I what I realized, you know, a couple of minutes later was, well, Israel is firing artillery as well. So there's no reason this couldn't have been an, an Israeli artillery strike. Um and and yeah, it did look like it hit the it hit the parking lot, not the um, hospital itself. To me, that was not, I never thought the hospital was leveled because Al Jazeera had camera footage in there that they were airing within, but everyone had to evacuate. And the estimates that I've seen still um I forget who's the, these were, but I think it was maybe the UN, um, the, the estimates were still in the 100 to 300 range. So the people jumping up and down, like it wasn't 500 and it wasn't, the hospital wasn't leveled, which is like, Tim pool has just been going off on this, but it's like, still at least hundred died, maybe 300 died. Everyone had to evacuate the hospital. Um, the strike was right next to the hospital, you know, people, um, we're not getting the medical services they need as a result of that. Cause they had to get out. So yeah, the kind of like, um, dunking about this hospital to me, is just like kind of ridiculous. And we, you're also hyper-focusing on just one strike when you could, that same day, there was a strike on a United Nations school where it wasn't ambiguous that it was Israel, Riz- Israel, the UN came out and said it. So it's like, fine, let's just talk about this school. Then how do we feel about Israel bombing a school? And then just this week there's the church, uh, Actually, that was last week, but Justin Amash, the former US congressman, his relatives were killed in this Christian church up in northern Gaza. Um, the church constructed like over a thousand years ago. I mean, so there's other examples. You don't have I it was that whole hyper focus on the hospital and people like parsing like dunking as if no look, it was Gaza when it was totally inconclusive that it was Gaza, um, was was frustrating to see. I um uh but it, but anyways, in terms of, you know, who did that strike? I I think it was Israel um, I because I saw lies out of the Israeli government. And, you know, they the only really counterpoint I saw that was compelling was the artillery thing. And Israel is firing artillery as well. So that was my read on that. Um, Adam made some good points earlier. I wanted to jump in. But if Adam, you got anything to say on that?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit aware about this incident. And actually, I, uh, like others, I've compared the sounds for the, uh, the missile. It's actually called a joint direct attack munition, uh, which is a basically a GPS uh, uh, guided uh, uh, precision guided missile, munition missile. And it basically makes a very whistling sound when it nears the target. And that's basically because of frequency and speed. As the more the whistle comes into uh, closer contact with the with the target, the speed uh, tends to uh quickly pace in uh quickly uh, come come quickly to its target. I don't know whether it's um uh, i i I'm not very well versed on missiles, so i'm I'm basing it on frequency and and closest to target where you hear that whistling sound. or you hear that. With the with the hospital bombing, with the hospital bombing, but you also hear it in that video what you're talking about, Liam, about the uh, the civilian that it, I think it was in the middle of the night or something like that, and basically you hear the same sound. You hear the, the whistling sound. Uh, the whist- the 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 munition itself was made by the United States Navy, uh, which basically is uh, one of its larger exporter of weapons to Israel, uh, as well as Saudi Arabia, incidentally enough. Um, but, yeah, I, I happen to believe this was an Israeli attack. And only because, not because I'm, I'm anti-Semitic or I'm going to, If Look, if we, if we compare, all you have to do is really do this. You, we had a number of conflicts over the last just 20 years. I may have going back 70 years. Just take 20 years. You could take 20 years worth of reports from Amnesty International, uh, from the United Nations Relief Works Agency, or from Human Rights Watch. Take your pick. But I choose Amnesty International because they're on the ground there. And in 2009, for example, I did a video about this. I wanted to show in an update news video was that the Amnesty International, that's Operation Cast Lead, um, which was an Israeli operation incursion into Gaza, where they basically said that there was a number of incidents, war crimes, that by Hamas, but also by the Israeli military. But more so on the Israeli military was more finding was this. Hamas specifically attacked civilian targets, but mainly targets against its, its military. That wasn't the case with Israeli military. The Israeli military attacked uh, building uh, facilities run by the United Nations Relief Works Agencies. Hey, that's happening now. That happened in 2009. But also hospitals, par, uh, c- civilian buildings, and um, even residential stores. They had nothing to do with what was going on. But the history is there. Israeli military of a history of bombing these civilian buildings. And Amnesty international and the international criminal courts, even though they can't do nothing, but they basically do say that they're committing war crimes. Well, take a look. That's just one report I just said. You can go down to 2014, uh, the huge God War, the first Intifada, the second Intifada. Um, but there's a number of reports out there that basically show one consistent finding. Not Hamas. Israeli military attacking hospitals. So, yeah, maybe it was Hamas maybe it was the Israeli military, but I'll go with the frequent uh, uh the frequent victim the frequent uh abuser and um suspect in most of the hospital bombings have been the Israeli military well, um, I
1: also, just real quick I also think it's funny like the people who were like mad at like well like why would you assume this was Israel it's like well because Israel is bombing the shit out of Hamas right now why would we assi- like it's only natural to assume that the country that's at war with Gaza, you know, that was everyone's assumption. Like, who else would it have been? I mean, like, it could be a false flag, It could be an accident. But like, obviously, when Gaza is getting bombed every single day by Israel, the natural assumption is when a new bombing takes place, you assume it's Israel. So yeah, the outrage over this issue was was pretty wild to me.
2: Yeah. And if I recall correctly, I believe uh, I don't know how they put out this transmission, if it was via text or if it was some sort of document or what, but they announced essentially, I think maybe it was eight, you know, a couple hours, eight hours, 12 hours, a day prior, that they were going to be bombing hospitals and to get out of certain hospitals. So there was some sort of, I can't remember, I, th- I want to say it was a straight up Israeli government transmission of some sort. And so it's like, and then hospitals get hit. So it's not really. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really take that much pattern recognition to go, I don't know. Maybe they hit that hospital. (laughs) So
1: Yeah. I I looked, I looked at that and it was reported in, in Al Jazeera, which Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people say is biased on this war. And it is a little biased, but Al Jazeera's, you know, before this war was very well respected. I mean, they're in the Pentagon, they're in the state department. Um, So yeah, I did hear what you just said. And that was the only, I could only find it in Al Jazeera. I couldn't find like the actual IDF warning, but that was out there for sure. Um, and shit, I'm forget. I had one. I had one more on this too, but I'm forgetting it now. Yeah, you, I mean, if you, if you remember it, cool. But I
2: remember you had said there were some things you wanted to pick at with Adam. So there were, so I don't know if maybe that re- you'll remember those as well. There seemed to be a couple of topics you wanted to bring up, but if not, uh, we, we can keep moving. <laughs> if that
1: yeah, yeah in, so but- Adam, Adam, I touched on it a little bit with like the, the, how conservatives have just completely flipped. Like they were very anti-war on Ukraine. And they've really just it, it seems to me like they've gone back into the war on terror mindset, like in an instant. And I, I was just very disappointed to see that because I, I'm, I'm a libertarian. I imagine we're all kind of from that vein. Um, so I'm always looking to get the U.S. out of stupid conflicts and not get involved in, in dangerous conflicts. Um and, and it seemed like when you looked in conservative circles, you looked at guys like Jack Posobiec, um, you looked at guys like, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Steven Crowder and guys like this who are Tucker Carlson. great Well, Tucker Carlson is still pretty good on this, but I mean, the kind of populist conservatives who have come around to, oh my God, like the Bush administration was terrible. We all hate Dick Cheney, the war on terror. What a disaster. Um, and I thought we were all good, because in conversations, you would hear them reflect on it and be like, yeah, huge mistake. And now, you know, this one terror attack happens. And there's a ton of red flags to be asked about it. Like even Charlie Kirk was asking, like, how did it take six hours for the IDF to respond to this Hamas attack on October 7th? You know, the Israel border is one of the most heavily guarded borders in the world. Um, I'm actually researching this right now to see like you know, how heavily guarded, wh- why were it, because they weren't on high alert, apparently. I was, I'm, I'm looking into that now to see on how frequent that is, how unusual that is. But it is shocking um, that, you know, with how close Jerusalem and Tel Aviv are to this border, that it took six hours to respond. So that's that's one thing you have to think about, like, is this an intentional attack that was allowed to happen, false flag. But, but the conservatives aren't, aren't considering this, they're just jumping right back into, into war mode. Um, And then you also have to consider like, you know, everyone, yes, this was Hamas killing innocent civilians and that's horrible, but it's not like, and this is like what happened with the Ukraine war. When, when Putin invaded in February of 2022, a lot, everyone was like, what, like, oh my God, why did he do that? Totally unprovoked invasion. It's like, no, there's a whole history there of the U.S. pushing and pushing, doing a coup in Ukraine on his border um, pushing for NATO, which basically means U.S. weapons get to be kept in Ukraine. Zelensky came out wanting to get nukes. Like, there's all this history that, like, in this case, Democrats just forgot. And now conservatives are acting like, like, why would Hamas just do this random attack? It's like, dude, have you not been paying attention to, like, Israel-Palestine? Like, the the there's attacks like this very often, and even before the attack, the 2023 pandemic, uh, KD ratio, for lack of a better term, between Israel and Hamas, pre-October, was like 230 to like 30 um, Palestinians dead versus Israelis dead. And now, of course, the KD has exploded, you know, like um, something like over 5,000 Palestinians dead and only, basically only the Israelis who have died were in that initial attack. So, I mean, um, yeah, conservatives have just totally bought the propaganda on this, it seems to me. I mean, there's some there's also this like crazy affinity that I didn't even realize existed. I got I got in a fight with some of my friends from my hometown about like they're just casual Jews. They're like these guys who probably haven't been in a synagogue since their bar mitzvah. And I bring up, you know, this war and I'm like, God, you know, it's horrible. These these deaths that are going on, on both sides. And my friends like flip out my Jewish friends, like, like, dude, how could you, you know, say that Israel, you know, is is has the right to defend itself and like you're being anti-Semitic. So I this hysteria um, that I've seen from the right and also a lot of Jewish people on the left is just is mind blowing. And it's it's uh, I don't know how to beat it. I don't know how we stop it. Get through to these people.
2: I mean, I don't know. I, I, that has been one point that's really bugged me is the anti-Semitism because I've been seeing that from so many large accounts, and these are the same people who would ridicule the left for their flagrant use of racism, sexism, whatever, and like I, I am completely on board with that. I'm very much like. I mean, uh, if anything, there's some libertarians who don't like me because I'm of the opinion that, like, I don't think it's ill-libertarian, like, not libertarian to be racist. As long as you don't fucking, you know, impose any sort of, like, violence or anything on anybody, whatever, you just have weird preferences that whatever, I won't bring you around my black friends. <laughs> but So like, I, I don't know. That's kind of my mindset. So I, I find it pathetic when people make these, like even bring it up at all. Cause it, all it comes off is, is virtue signaling to the team that like, Hey, don't forget. I don't forget. I think not liking Jews is bad. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's a granted we're it's 2023. Like, yeah, it's, you're kind of weird if you have like, just inf- like reflexively hate Jews. I mean, that is an odd thing, but I don't, I've never come across anyone that actually legitimately, I mean, maybe online I can make some arguments some people have, but like in real life, I've never, ever met anyone who genuinely hates Jews. I've met people who, you know, have issues with this or hate, even hate the state of Israel. I hate the state of Israel. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've met people who have issues with the teachings or perceived teachings in Judaism. I I don't know. I, I mean, if that's true, if there's some legit shitty teaching Judaism, okay, whatever, that's fair. Uh, uh, you know, So, I, <laughs> I, I don't know, I forgot what the point I was getting to, but no, it, it, I just think the point is just pathetic. And I feel like, if anything, that should be the move for a lot of people is just mock that, because it's just, it's pathetic, and I think most people can see that it's like this anti-Semitism card is just silly. And like anyone who's interacted with the real world, I feel like knows unless you're talking about some obscure black people that rant in New York or something, not a whole lot of people really like really hate Jews. Like they're they They pretty much blend in with white people. They have a culture that, you know, tends to promote family values. They tend to like, you know, be, have a tradition of excellence, you know, being good with money. They're culturally speaking. So it's like, I don't know, you really are trying to rile me up to feel some sort of sense of sympathy for this group that I never even really felt any sort of actual ire towards. I just find it obscene, and it is like, it just is this thing that gets cast over to like distract from the fact that no, a lot of these people have legitimate concerns, and they fucking hate Israel <laughs> for good reason. Uh, I don't know if I got kind of ran to rant there for a minute, but I, I guess, yeah, I don't know if you guys want to talk about the anti Semitism thing because I just find it pathetic that I've seen so many people throw this card up, which are the same ones who would make, you know, five minute videos on why the wage gap is a myth or whatever, you know, which it is. <laughs> but, like, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts.
0: Well, I think the as long as the conflict continues, the growing rate of anti Semitism will grow only because the anti Jews are going to hitch on the ride. And basically, use the shield of anti of anti-Zionist when in reality they're anti-Jews. This actually uh, sullies the actual anti-war message. This Is what I'm fearing from conservatives is that the you know people like uh, you know Nick Fuentes, for example, who basically just espouses that oh we're we should be uh, outraged about what the Israeli government's doing, but in reality he just doesn't like Jewish people, and uh, he has a you know decent sized following. Uh, but enough people like him, that'll come on, will basically uh, show that, oh, BDS or anybody who's really, truly anti-war, all they are is anti-Semites. And this is what happens with 9-11 in my studies of 9-11, is that we had a we had a small population of fringe conspiracy theorists that basically blamed Israel for every part of 9-11. And this actually hurt the actual respected researchers like a uh, Paul Thompson or a DJ Thermal Detonator, Ryan Dawson, for example. And basically say, all oh, these people must be anti-Semites to the public. Saying, look, you know, uh, these people just want to blame Jews. That's not really the case. I think, as long, like I said, I, I think the, the the conflict continues onward, and it becomes much more extreme and aggressive on the Israeli side. Uh, what will happen is we'll see more of these people come out of the shadows, and um, I, I, I'm, it's unfortunate, but I'm expecting it. And this will hurt the anti-war message in the long run. Uh, people like yourselves. Uh, and uh, soon, you know, a, a size of the public will basically say, well, maybe they're anti-Semitic as well. And then you'll have to de- be on the defense at that point. And we need more people on the offense.
1: Yeah, I do kind of agree with Jose, though, that like in in the spirit of kind of mocking it, you can either mock it or you can just ignore it. So kind of your point of being on the defense, maybe the best defense is just like shrug it off. Like, I know I'm, I know I'm not an anti-Semite, so I'm just not even going to engage in this like stupid conversation and yeah, no, it's hilarious. It's hilarious that like the anti-woke Ron DeSantis, Ben Shapiro are all coming out like with identity politics on, on Israel and, uh, you know, just kind of hiding. I don't even think Ron DeSantis is Jewish, but just they, the, any any criticism of the government of Israel is somehow anti-Semitic. Um, but in that spirit, you touched on 9-11 and Adam, I did want to ask you about... Uh, You know, the quote unquote dancing Israelis, because I've done a little bit of research into that. um, And I think it's fascinating. I don't I didn't jump to the conclusion that Israel planned 9-11. But um, my research into the dancing Israelis, I'll just give a quick summation for the audience. Um, Basically, there were these guys, there were these Israeli men uh, parked at a, a van on top of the van. They were watching the World Trade Center. The planes hit. They were they were at least there before the second plane hit. And they were cheering and celebrating and filming it. Um, and it's not ambiguous that they were cheering. They actually admitted this to the cops and they said, you know, we were happy because now the U.S. Um, will sympathize with us and, and basically, you know, take the threat of terrorism seriously. They'll understand what we go through. Um, there's a lot more than that, too. They turn out to be Mossad agents. They have plane tickets leaving um, back to Israel on September 12th, the following day. There were apparently traces of explosives found in the van. This is all from an FBI report, um, and there's a, there's a lot more too. I'm I'm kind of blanking on. But uh, Adam, what's your what's your take? Because for me, and then also you have this FBI report with all of this evidence that they they um, oh they had a photo. They had photos of the World Trade Center printed out at night prior to the attack. So they were. Uh, they were kind of scoping this out, it seemed. And they worked for this moving company that was basically an Israeli front company. Um, so to me, the fact that our State Department let them off. Oh, and also Alan Dershowitz was part of the deal to get them released. And Alan Dershowitz, of course, as people might know, also was part of the sweetheart deal for Epstein, where the judge, Alex Acosta, who later worked for the Trump uh, Department, um said that he was told epstein belonged to intelligence and to let him go so so there's some evidence dershowitz has these intelligence connections and then he's part of getting these Mossad agents released that's just kind of an interesting connection um and to me it to me it saw to me i came to the conclusion well israel at the very least um knew this attack was going to happen where and when and clearly were in support of it because they were celebrating that it happened and and rightfully so because then the u.s became so ingrained in the middle east Um, on their side. So, but Adam, what's, what's, you're more of an expert on this. So if there's details you want to
0: fill in. Currently, no, you got the premise correct. Um, I'm currently doing a reading, a chapter reading of a document, which is the only document that we have in the public, which is largely ignored, called the Gerald Shea Memorandum. Uh, There's a retired lawyer, uh, a corporate lawyer named Gerald Shea. Um, who wrote a memorandum based on the DA reports in the year 2000-2001 about a large number of Israelis posing as art students uh, had been and working in moving companies, had been uh, spying on the DA, the FBI, state department officials, even at their homes, as well as living in nearby uh, residences that were um, in the same neighborhood as some of the 9/11 hijackers, uh, specifically in Hollywood, Florida. The memorandum was actually given to the Nine Limit Commission and the joint house inquiry, but they basically didn't, of course, they didn't uh, basically insert it into their own final reports. But what's interesting is this, and, you know, to add more about what you said, not to repeat anything you say here, is that the uh, majority of these rings are basically operating out of Houston, uh, New Mexico, New Jersey, New York, Florida, all throughout the Southwest Northeast. Well, that's basically where most of the, Uh, sensitive areas of government were, and also where the 9-11 hijackers were, So, incidentally enough. Now, what I found out through my own independent investigations is that uh, a number of these units didn't know that there was other units in different states. They did know that there was other people involved with the same unit in the same state or the same city, but they didn't know anything about the other units that I'm seeing now. Um, Interesting to note that um, the largest of these units were in Florida. So Hollywood, Florida. Um, basically, that's where Mohammed Atta, al Sheehy, and Zia the alleged pilot hijackers of Flight 11, 175, and 93. But also, these are the what they call the Hamburg cell. Uh, the Hamburg cell has a, uh, uh, a deep history with Al-Qaeda in Germany, as well as Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And if you go even back that further, you'll notice that there is foreign and domestic intelligence that were monitoring these people well many years ahead of the 9-11 attacks. And I'm also covering that issue about the, how the NSA, which is probably the lead agency in terms of collecting data on the 9-11 hijackers and Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda starting in 1992. And I just interviewed the CIA's uh, former chief station and Michael Scheuer about um, his experience at Alex Station, but not to lose the audience. The Israelis, a number between 200 and 250, and they were basically having team leaders. And these team leaders had specific skill sets, some of them being Israeli military, one as high as lieutenant at the Golan Heights in the war against Lebanon in 2006. The hell's he doing selling art? Uh, you have one who was a bomb, uh, um, a, uh, a, a bomb expert for mines and uh, planting bombs and placing bombs. Uh, What's he doing selling art? You also have signals intelligence directors, managers of secret units, um, basically acting as art students. I would say this. If you find a more nefarious group selling art, I'd like to know about it. But when the FBI arrested these people, they basically couldn't hold them. And that's only because they did a smart thing, all these people, just like the Saudis did. The first crime they committed was overstaying their visa, every single one of them. And that's only because they know that if they got caught doing something illegal, something really illegal, federally, judicially, they would have to be handed over to INS first because that's the first crime they committed. Well, what's the, what's the punishment for it? Well, it's deportation. Do you think they're coming back to uh, hold on, uh, to uh, call for the uh, charges of whatever they're being charged with, the extra they got caught? No, of course not. We'll never hear from them again unless the American government pressures these governments to basically send them back in additional more questions. The FBI did want to question a lot of these people. Now, you mentioned the dancing Israelis. Well, Ireland did like this. They were held for 71 days, and you are right. One of the very few people that know that is that the mediator was Alan Dershowitz. But there were also two unnamed senators here in New York, where I live. And I think one of them was Chuck Schumer. I can't be sure, so take that with a grain of salt, that these two senators had heavy ties with the American Israeli Public Affairs Committee, also known as APAC, and also ties with Benjamin Netanyahu and Ehud Barak, the former prime ministers and current prime minister of Israel. So whoever these two senators were that pushed for this, because they listened to Dov Zakhaim, And Alan Dershowitz, well, they all got deported, all these people. Now, the last thing is this. I'm in talks with a fellow researcher, DJ Thermodetonator. Maybe in the future, we'll do what a former researcher did, was try to file a freedom of information request regarding the hard drives of the moving company, Liam, that you mentioned, which is Urban Moving Systems. Small Ranking team company based in Weehawken, New Jersey, not there anymore. Uh, Employees, I think it was about 30. But they had 19 computers, 19 separate hard drives. Why would a small company need so many computers, so many hard drives? I worked in a moving company business, a uh, small rinky dink company in Las Vegas before I became uh, employed with security. But they basically only had one computer. Why does Irving Moving System need 19 more questions and answers? But um, uh, there are 19 hard drives, and the FBI basically says we lost them. But I just recently heard that the former landlord who owned the property of urban wound systems basically says he has them. And I just found out he's alive. He's 82 years old. Really? And he lives in he New Jersey. So I think I might reach out to him first, but if I can't, I'll try to freedom of information request with the oh, FBI regarding the release of the hard
1: drive. Definitely go to him first because FOIA requests take months and then they usually don't give you anything. Yeah. Um, I, I, funnily enough, like two days ago, I, cause back when I was looking into this months ago, I, I LinkedIn friend requested the, oh, not the landlord who you're talking about, but the former owner of urban moving systems, uh, Dominic something. Dominic Suter. Yeah. And he's accepted my LinkedIn request like two days ago. Um, so I sent him a message and I was like, Hey, you know, wanted to talk about this, such and such. I haven't heard back yet, but you should definitely reach out to the landlord and I don't know if you live near that area, but, but if he doesn't respond to you, let me know. I'll, I'll literally go to his house and, and knock on the door. Cause that's fascinating. Um, yeah, you mentioned a lot of interesting stuff there. Oh, I wanted to ask you how, how, or why you thought Chuck Schumer was the Senator who, um, was involved.
0: Oh, only because he was a, a Senator in New York at that time in 2001.
1: Oh, OK. And he's obviously very pro-Israel.
0: Yes. Um,
1: yeah, makes sense. Um, and then Michael Scheuer, Alex Station, you just interviewed that guy. He's Alex Station. Um, Grayzone actually covered this before I worked here. But Alex Station was like the CIA unit that was kind of overseeing a, a couple of the hijackers and was obscuring a lot of the information from the FBI. Am, am I
0: Am I right there? You're close. Um, that would be Richard Blee who obscured the information of the FBI. But Scheuer was the first chief of station. Okay. And he but he opened
1: up to you about it. I'll have to watch that interview.
0: Yeah, he um we we talked a bit about it, but he couldn't say, he couldn't say much about what happened after the night. That's only fair because he got replaced in 99 by Richard Blee. But uh, we delved into Alex Station. He he basically was very critical of the FBI, blamed them for 9 11 Okay, but he, but he didn't,
1: like, I guess, what sense did you get from him? Is your, is your um, read on 9-11 that the U.S. government also, at, at the very least, let it happen, knew it was going to happen, and let it happen so that they could, you know, pass the Patriot Act and go to
0: war and things like that? I'm on the fence. I, I, if you ask me about specifics, I, I'm, for, I'm almost convinced. That the dofus uh, george bush had nothing to do with anything about foreknowledge. he may have known that al-qaeda went to hijack planes but like i said in videos before um, you don't want that guy having specifics because he's actually an imbecile and he's in front of a camera you don't want him blurting out operations i think the only people who knew about specifics liam are basically foreign intelligence the nsa cia and even that i would say that's you know, a little bit tough call but Regarding the NSA, they were listening to the phone calls of bin Laden since 1992. They also learned about an al-Qaeda communications hub in Yemen in 1996. That's five years prior to 9-11. Thomas Drake, the former senior executive of the NSA, basically has come out and said that the NSA had so much information about 9-11 and the 9-11 hijackers and bin Laden and al-Qaeda that they alone, just them alone, if shared, could have stopped 9-11 altogether. Stop it from the San Diego perspective, the New York perspective. That's the two cells of Al Qaeda that were inside the United States. Not to mention what the CIA had. CIA had enormous uh, information, but according to Scheuer, even him, he basically said that the NSA was the goldmine of data. Now, on top of this, you had Israel and Saudi Arabia who were right there with the hijackers. I mean, even commiserating with them. God knows what they have. Now, we don't know. Maybe they don't have nothing. Maybe they have something. Maybe they have a whole hell of a lot. But we don't know because we deported every single one of these people. And basically they lied. I mean, they even interviewed the FBI, the, the, those five guys that known as the dancing Israelis. But they all failed their polygraphs. Well, guess what? So did the Saudis. Now, the FBI went and, and 9-11 Commission went and interviewed people like uh, uh, Fahad al-Tamari, who was the imam that welcomed two of the first hijackers inside the United States. He was being deceptive. That's what the 9-11 uh, Commission said. He was being deceptive. Omar al-Bayoumi, we find out through the biggest breakthrough in all of 9-11 this year, which was Operation, um, 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 oh, and I'm forgetting it right now, the Canisterial Documents. Canisterial Documents basically it out it said, yes, Saudis and the CIA were, were doing a covert black operation that was illegal inside the United States, monitoring Khalid al-Bador and Nawaf al but nobody's talking about this. Nobody wants to talk and about I, this. And I think they were
1: paying. They were paying some of their expenses. Actually, they were like paying for, I think, rent and maybe taxi rides. The, the Canestrero documents are what I was referring that Grayzone had covered. Yes, um, the and, only one. Yeah. yeah, and I. That was another thing I asked Epic Times if I could cover, and they said, No, 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 we're not going to touch 9-11 stuff. Um, so yeah, no, it doesn't have to be George Bush. Like I don't, mm-hmm. um, I, I I don't really know whether George Bush knew. Got some guy, a guy like Cheney or Rumsfeld, maybe I'm more inclined to think they they would know. I mean, the weird Rumsfeld thing of oh, we lost 2.3 trillion dollars the day
0: before 9/11, you know? Um, yeah, but then- just, to add, just to add to yeah. that, just to, add to that, that, he didn't announce it the day before. That actually, he was reading from a uh, uh, it was a Pentagon audit report that was done in the mid 90s, and actually, Associated Press in March of 2000 reported on the missing 2.3 trillion.
1: Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, that—that's the first I've heard that. Um, But, but on George Bush, you know, his dad, H.W., was the head of former head of the CIA. Um, Mm -hmm. Haven't looked into too much of his tenure there. But one thing I do know that he did was he stonewalled um, the congressional committee that was trying to get to the bottom of Operation Mockingbird, which was um, I think it was either Woodward or Bernstein. One of them was doing reporting on this. Whichever the the good one, I know a lot of people think one of them is a spook. But um, yeah, basically this congressional committee was trying to get documents on the CIA Operation Mockingbird, which is where they put their agents into various news media or they uh, uh, paid off someone in the media to plant their stories or whatever. Um, And H.W. was was at the helm at this point and stonewalled all those investigations wouldn't give them anything. So I'm just saying like it wouldn't surprise me. George Bush does come off kind of stupid, but he comes from this like. Deep state, Intel community, family is all I'm saying.
0: Yeah, wouldn't it, if if you had to put a gun to my head and pressure me to say, well, who do you think in the the Bush administration probably knew about time and date? Well, I I would say the more shrewd would be Dick Cheney. He's he knows when to speak and when not to speak. He's a little bit he's a lot more politically literate, and he's also dealt with nefarious operations. Um, uh, so I you know I would say them probably people in the NSA maybe that were involved with the Yemen hub operation. But again, I don't know what they collected. And most certainly those who I would say I go even further uh, and I have less evidence would be the Israeli and Saudi intelligence because they were right there with the hijackers themselves. Now, if they were listening to the DA and the FBI and trying to find sensitive uh, security lapses there, um, I would submit to you that they probably easily, uh, Collected signals, intelligence, or maybe listen to phone calls of these hijackers that were living in Hollywood, Florida, for example. So I wouldn't put it past them to get specifics and then later on say, hey, wait a minute, maybe we allow these attacks to happen. It could benefit us because it not only benefited the military industrial complex and foreign policy advisors and whatnot, the Bush administration, but also to the Israelis and Saudi governments because who did we go to war with? We went to war with the countries that were the preconceived enemies of these governments.
1: Yeah, I think, sorry, Jose, we're, we're going on a You're huge range. here. But, um, <laughs> I'm enjoying I, I would say it. no, I would say no question Israel knew just from, um, I mean, people, people can read the, the Zero Hedge article I wrote a long time ago on, I'm sure you've done work on it too, but I think those FBI agent those FBI documents alone prove that the Israelis knew. But then, like you said, there are other evidence that they're in Hollywood, Florida, and I don't think you mentioned, but one was like a, like a block or two. Like an Israeli Mossad agent is living like a block or two from one of the would-be hijackers. Um, crazy stuff like that. And then real quick, because you mentioned Dick Cheney is kind of um, privy to like covert operations. Uh, one factoid on that, just to give people an example. Um, I believe this is related to um, the mind control stuff. What is that called again? Uh, MK Ultra. MKUltra. Okay. Uh, there's a letter. Um, I guess one of the doctors, scientists involved in MK Ultra, had a bad trip and then was like kind of regretting his involvement in it. And then he he's later jumps out of a window, jumps. Um, but I think there was someone in the hotel with him, room with him later. And basically, the the family was so distressed by this that they they um, you know kept kept going after this to get to the bottom of it. And eventually, the government had to apologize. And there are declassified memos between um, Rumsfeld and Cheney where they're basically like, fuck, how do we apologize to this guy? Okay, maybe like so. So basically the point is that Rumsfeld and Cheney were privy to like this high level CIA assassination of an MKUltra whistleblower, which, you know, proves your point. Like they're they're you know, they're in on this stuff.
0: Frank Olson was the man's name just to.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Was that operation Wormwood or some
2: shit like that? I think I, I might be wrong. That's uh, the one, movie or uh, the movie. The, the Netflix series. Yeah, it might okay. be related
1: to an actual yeah. document. Too. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I don't remember if it's an actual document or not. I know. Yeah, I do. I've, I've read about that a couple times, but, uh, uh, I have one more question from Tim Tuttle, and this will be the last thing we talk about But the urban moving systems. So it would be fair to have the assumption that a minimum uh, urban moving system slash dancing Israelis was a blackmail operation. I don't, I don't really... I've never really looked into it much. I feel like Adam might have something to say in that. I do want to point out, Tim Tuttle corrected me earlier because I couldn't think of the name on the spot. It was Dave Holloway, uh, and he was at one point the head of TLI Texas Light Infantry, which is one of the spots uh, McVeigh ended up. It's also... Uh, where Strassmeyer was for a while. And it looks like Holloway was one of Strassmeyer's sponsors uh, along with uh, Petruski. So for those, I still had it. I just couldn't think of it at the moment, but uh, all right, <laughs> I'll pass it off to you, uh, Adam. I think. You, uh, I, don't know I would you... say
0: it's a blackmail operation. I would say they're mm-hmm. basically a collection operation, data collection, data processors. Um, if you look at the history of Sivan and Paul Kozberg, the brothers, uh, basically they all served in the military. So that's no big deal there, but they had uh, intelligence uh, um, experience. Um, but there were other urban Moving Systems employees that people don't talk about either, but uh, just not to lose the audience, but I think uh, basically urban mover systems, just like the other companies like uh, um, Max movers, Moishi movers and uh, uh, classic international movers, uh, which was basically all the numbers that were found in the, a uh, backpack of one, of the, or the fanny pack of one of the Israelis that were found. All these connected. And this is Florida, New York, and New Jersey. Um, basically, I think what these people were was basically these were young Israelis uh, people who served in specific types of intelligence. And with these guys, they basically served in signals intelligence, data collection, and that's I think what urban move system was. They basically that's why they moved. They they used moving companies they can move around easily and basically you know spy and collect data on the people that they're tracking. And, and didn't someone from classic international movers,
1: you might've just said this, but I, I I missed it. So someone from classic international movers, according to the FBI document, had the phone number of one of the hijackers in like their phone book. Isn't
0: that, Am I? Isn't that is that true? No, this is a mix up. I hear from some people uh, that they moved a, a hijacker. Or whatnot. No, no, it was actually uh, the CNN, I think it was a CNN report. Don't quote me. I it was one of the TV stations that basically said, that classic international movers had um, the information of one of the hijackers, but it was a, it was a false report. It was a, it was a name. I don't know where they got the name from. And I, and now that name escapes me. I I, I used to remember this name. I always tend to forget it. My co-researcher did a third day. is probably pissed off because I always ask him the name. He remembers it, but um, I forgot the name of the person. He lives in Florida and basically uh, he was moved. He was moved out uh, to Saudi Arabia. He left the country actually uh but he had some shady history behind him but uh no it wasn't one of the hijackers all right oh
2: you're you're muted liam you're muted you're still muted <laughs> liam you're muted uh is he still you might
1: have to- I, I had the, i had brought the quote up and i was reading it so it, it, it was there was a notebook with a phone number um with a company of uh, believed to be affiliated with one of the hijackers or something. And then it goes on to say with authentic ties to Islamic radicalism or something like that. But yeah, I, I got it wrong. It was not the phone number for the hijacker.
0: Oh, okay. But yeah, right. but th- this actually is a conspiracy that I've, I've heard in, in circles. All
2: right. Uh, let's, uh, let's move it back. I want to talk about uh, the question of genocide. Uh, Cause I feel like that's a topic that's come up a lot. I feel like the right has been uh, typically portraying this as like histrionics on a lot of the people that are making that cry. Uh, I'm kind of of the opinion that it's like I, I, I hesitate to say, oh, this is a genocide or this could be a genocide. But I think that's completely legitimate. I also find it ironic that, you know, people will bring up, you know, a Holocaust from 70 years ago or a genocide from, and be like, you know, never again. Or I'm against that and will signal how awful that is but i think there's something to be said about when the time when it may actually be happening uh how quick are people to actually point it out because at what point do you go oh yep this is a genocide um but i guess and it's also one of those things that if you call genocide and it doesn't end up being one you kind of look silly sort of but i i just feel like i guess maybe the proper caveat for this question would be like if given the moral authority essentially in the way of where people get out of their way or even maybe finance it, would they, would Israel carry out a genocide of the Palestinian people? I, I, I want to lead with Liam on this one, because I, I I know Adam's perspective. I'm kind of curious, uh, for your take, Liam, uh, if you think that we are at an actual risk of a legitimate genocide of some sort occurring. Um, so I
1: would encourage everyone to listen to Norman Finkelstein's recent interview with Katie Halper. Um, and I, I was not... I've never been a huge Katie Halper fan, but after this, I was a huge one. Um, he says, and he's very careful in his language, and he's a huge expert on this topic. Um, he, he basically said, you know, obviously it's not genocide right now, but what it what it looks it looks like a plan. Like that's the plan. Like that's my that's his read on the situation. That's my read on the situation. That if you just let them keep going, that does seem like the plan. And I mean, it's horrible, horrible to think about, but that's, that's literally, I mean, it'll either be a genocide or it'll be like mass slaughter and they will be in a tent city somewhere and they come back to like rubble, um, which, you know, isn't, isn't much better. And so it's, yeah, it's very, it's very concerning. That is what it looks like. You sound, this is another reason I think like the reactionary conservatives are not on, on our, are not on our side because they hear terms like genocide and colonialism. And they're like, oh, what are these leftists? terms like they you know they just get triggered by hearing these words but like it's actually not an exaggeration to call gaza a concentration camp the more you learn about it and it's not an exaggeration to say we're we look like we're on we're en route to genocide um and it's very scary and not only like even if you don't care about the just how awful that that is as an israeli or as an israel supporter you should be scared at the reaction from the muslim world if you think like Iran is going to sit back and watch a literal genocide happen. Like, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. So it's, it's, it's just terrifying from an escalation standpoint. And it's just awful from, um, you know, a moral standpoint. And I don't think like, I don't think, uh, yeah, I wouldn't call like what's happening at this second a genocide, but like anyone who's paying attention, it seems like that's what a lot of people surprisingly high up in the Israeli government want are basically pushing for. Yeah, um, you I, know, when they, when they try to say all the Palestinians are culpable because they voted for Hamas, even though I've I've read that only seven percent of the population actually voted in the election. Um, and then, of course, half the country is our kids. So it's like, you know, yeah, it's it's very scary.
2: Yeah, I want to hop in real quick before Adam answers. Uh, uh, you know, I I kind of even think even now under current situation I think it's fair to call it a genocide because I think if you look at the explicit plans that many, you know, higher ups within Israel have said and, you know, what has happened over time, I think, yes, it may not be a genocide in the sense of they all get squashed within the next week or two. But even if whenever this situation dies down, what's going to happen with all these buildings? Like, what does this do to a population? Like, what are the effects of this? If you bomb, you know, you bomb, you know, the, say you have like a, a, a circle area and you bomb a little bit, you're just slowly moving them herding them in or it's the ones that escape and go to other countries now they're no longer your problem so in the end you end up getting over time by you know constant conflict you keep moving the borders back until they no longer exist uh so i i guess i, I think in a i mean maybe that may not technically be a genocide also jc in the chat brought up and i think this is a fair point to be had because uh, you know i really is the term genocide is useful as a Phrase hate crime, the act would still be bad as bad regardless of what the perceived intentions are. He says it seems like a distraction where people argue back and forth on arbitrary criteria instead of focusing on the crime itself. Because to be completely honest, if I don't find it any more or less evil if three hundred thousand people die, you know, in a conflict as opposed to three hundred thousand people of a specific given race, creed, culture, whatever. At the other day, three hundred thousand people died like the intentions or the reasoning, like, I guess it was important to know for context, but in the the day people are dead. So like, I mean, so it's not necessarily like a, but at the end of the day, I I think Gaza is an area that's full of hostages and that's how they should be treated. And that's not at all what the perception I'm getting, but I'll pass it off to Adam. Do you think it's fair to call it a genocide? or Are we looking at a possible genocide soon? I guess your thoughts just kind of roughly around that, that, you know, specific criteria.
0: Yeah, I did a, a news uh, update video about this, about how the definition of, of genocide as, as defined by the Rome Statutes of the International Criminal Court, it, it goes like this, that the crime of genocide, according to the ICC, is characterized by the specific intent to destroy or in whole part of a national, ethnic, racial or religious group by killing its members or by other means causing serious bodily harm or mental harm to members of the group. Deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in part or whole, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group or forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. That is the very definition of what is happening in Gaza right now. And not just in Gaza, but also in the West Bank, but we'll leave it just to Gaza. And according to the International Criminal Courts, Israel is uh, continually guilty of four of their Rome statutes, not genocide, crimes against humanity crimes of aggression, and war crimes. Uh, I read the definitions of all four in that update video. I left it up to the uh, the listener or the viewer to basically make up their own mind. I, I don't need to persuade you. In other words, I just let the evidence suggest and by the definitions of the International Criminal Court speak for the evidence of what is happening. You don't need me to basically dress up or put extra salad dressing on it. Uh, neither does Liam. The evidence is overwhelmingly uh, visceral you see what's happening in Gaza. It is a war crime. Uh, Genocide is absolutely happening there. We're now reaching over 5,000 people. 400 Palestinians were killed in the last 24 hours. Half of those, as Liam mentioned, half of those are children because half of the population in Gaza are children. So by basically bombing hospitals and bombing civilian infrastructure, bombing relief worker agency buildings, you're basically making sure that all these buildings who are housing refugees to get away from the bombing of their residential neighborhoods, well, they have nowhere to go. Even when the Israeli government basically tells them to go south, because north is now shut off, go south, that's where the border of Rafah is between Egypt and Israel. As they go there, they're being bombed there. So there's really nowhere to go. And now, with the internet broadband basically being shut off in the next 24 hours, now we'll have nothing coming out of uh, Gaza. And if that's the case... Mark my words, and I said this in a previous video, and I'll leave you with this. Um, when this happens in the next 24 to 48 hours, that's when the military will incur into Gaza City. And the worst war crimes will happen then. Because what they can do is basically kill these people en masse, get away with it. Because the only people reporting on this will be the Israeli government and the very few people who have the luck to have internet connection or electricity at that point. Um but if it does get out and the word gets out to Hezbollah and the militias and the Syrian government and Iranian government, well, they're going to intervene. And that's exactly what the Israeli government is hoping for, because they want this water, this broad, broad regional war. And that's what they've always wanted for many years, uh, you know, 20, 20, 30 years down, uh, before this war even started. So, uh, yes, I think what's happening is a genocide. What, why do you think they would want such a war? Why? Because to
1: me, I mean, I know they have nukes and they are, are ostensibly the only country in that region with nukes, but why on earth would you want that war? It's not going to end well for either party. You know, I mean, Israel's so small, you would think it would just get bombed
0: to shit in, in a war like that. Why would they want it? Because it wouldn't be them fighting it, it would be the United States and the coalition partners. That's who. Oh. Yeah. Good point.
1: Jesus Christ. Oh my God. I mean, this is, this is the crazy thing. It's just like how, how, you know, hysteric the U S is already, and and they seem already on board with this war and then God forbid, you know, a terrorist attack, whether real or false flag happens in the United States, then approval ratings are going to shoot through the roof. So, I mean, <laughs> this is why your work is important on nine 11, showing people that like, you know, sometimes terrorist attacks are, are not what they seem. And then also the response, you know, having this ridiculous response doesn't actually doesn't actually solve, you know, it it makes the problem worse. You know, when we went to war with Iraq, you know, I'm sure we built a lot more anti-America sentiment around the world as a result. And it's not like we, you know, the TSA, I don't think uh, I, I I would just prefer to have no TSA. I don't I They've done studies that it doesn't even really work, and it just makes everyone's life a pain in the ass. So,
2: I do think if there's probably one sort of good thing to be said is I do think, uh, you know, we kind of lose before, that I do think it allows you—it's a good litmus test. And I, I do think it's great, and, and, you know, obviously it's sad that it's come at the cost of a lot of death, but I think a lot of people are waking up to Israel's bullshit. And yeah. I know you mentioned earlier, Adam, uh, you know, making some point about how everyone— people tend to bring it always back to Israel, but you'd be surprised how much it comes back to Israel. And I, this is even some Jew hate thing. Oh, you know, just today, already we've talked about 9-11 and, you know, lots of other stuff that we could go into that, you know, you know Epstein, that the, Israel has been connected with and i think it there is some strong connection to if you you know you know uh get rid of war like if you don't think about war in the modern history the largest like you know affront to private property that is one one of the largest in modern history was the foundation of israel (laughs) like so like if you're someone who believes in private property and if you understand how that plays out like it's not that crazy to think the the entity that kind of perpetrated the largest you know you know disrest or unrest to private property norms that there may be some issues there uh, that it sprout out from that and I, I do think there's something interesting to be said about the fact that you know the Jewish people or, or Israel that they become conflated, and so now you have this weird entity that's sort of a cultural group, sort of a religious group, sort of a racial group. And so now they have this catch-all term anti-Semitism that kind of is all these wrapped in one because you have the left is instantly adverse to anything race-related. Then you have the right that has you know the touchy point when it comes to religion. So you have this catch-all term that kind of catches both. So I just feel like that's, I don't know. I think there's something good to be said about that. Too many people have this weird idea around Israel that it's it's great. I don't know. Like between us and, you know, between the U.S. and Israel, and I guess Saudi Arabia as well, we're kind of the thugs of the world. So I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy that you have to have this talk with some people. But, and especially, you know, in light of recent events in Ukraine, where this is kind of almost a perfect one-for-one. One. You know, when Russia invaded, it was kind of like people, you know, so many people were like, oh, history just started. Same thing with Israel. All the crazy misinformation that was coming out of the beginning uh, with all the, you know, the ghost of Kiev and bullshit like that. With Ukraine, it's very much similar. It felt more ramped up for Israel, uh, which, I don't know, it just makes it that much more pathetic. People fell for it. Uh, I know Liam you've been covering Ukraine a lot and you know it seems like this will probably take the back burner so far as public it, the public is concerned and paying attention to but what is going on with Ukraine now D- does it look like we're going to try to die it down uh, does it look like we'll still you know kind of keep it on a slow spigot so that way you can be like oh you know we, we're sort of not in Ukraine anymore what, what, what's going on with that like
1: Um, So well, so I must admit, I've been following Ukraine a lot less ever since the war in Israel broke out. um, And that's what I've been asking about at the the press briefings and stuff. But I what I did see, and I'm sure you guys saw this is that quote from John Kirby, where for the first time since the war started, John Kirby, who's the White House, uh, sometimes spokesman, um, he basically said something like, yeah, you know, Ukraine funding is kind of coming to the end of the rope, which like literally, probably two weeks before, Karine Jean-Pierre was up there, like, "Well, we're going to fund them as long as it takes. Russia better stand back." So, you know, in the sense of getting out of the war, that was a bit of a positive to even hear someone in the Biden administration say that, um, and then not have to walk it back afterwards. I know Biden is trying to put, I think, sixty billion for Ukraine in the, in the latest funding thing. I, um, I would hope uh, the Republicans in Congress would. Would, would stop that. I, th- I think they might stop it um, or demand that it's separate from Israel and then, and then stop that and sadly give money to Israel. Um, but yeah, it, it, the latest I've seen on the war are probably what a lot of people in the audience have seen, which is that Ukrainians have made very little gain in the last like four months. And so, you know, a bunch of people over there have just been dying for not much territorial gains and all the kind of, you know, if you read, like, um, you know, if you read the Wall Street Journal and, and stuff like in the New York Times, you know, you probably thought that the Ukraines were on the verge of victory. But that um, if you just look at the maps and again, I'm not like super on the ground um, knowledge on this, but, you know, the, the, the maps of who controls which territory is a pretty basic indicator that, that and you can gather from it that Ukraine is not doing well. Um, so hopefully we pull out that forces Ukraine to negotiate. There are some territorial concessions, but thank God we're no longer in a proxy war with a nuclear power. Now, um, I'm just as uneasy about us getting involved in this Middle Eastern war. Maybe Adam has some insights. I mean, I, um, I, is it true? Like, you know, is it true that Israel is the only country with nukes over there? Like, um, could Iran have some, like, nuke dirty bomb capabilities, that's what freaks me out. Is like, you know, we get in. And also, of course, like Douglas McGregor said with Tucker, you know, if we get involved with Iran, he doesn't think Russia
0: is going to sit by and,
1: and let that happen. Um, but yeah, Adam, I don't know if you are more in tune with with those uh, dynamics.
0: Well, the International Atomic Agency does vet uh, the Iranians for uh, their capabilities to produce uh, plutonium and uranium, and they basically have written reports, Uh, one is uh, as early as last year, where they basically said they, they don't have the capabilities to put together a nuclear device. So Israel basically, does it doesn't stop Israel from basically still threatening the region that Iran is basically building a nuclear weapon to use it against too. Well, against Israel. Why? Because other countries will basically respond to that. Now, let's just say, for the sake of argument, Iran does have a nuclear bomb. Um, it would be in their best interest to have one, because as you could take a look at the Middle East countries that don't and look what happened to them. Um, but let's just say they have one. Would it not be co- political career and, and you know their own existence suicide uh, to use it against Israel, knowing full well that the United States and the coalition partners will respond in kind? It would basically be the end of Iran. Uh, I would say this: that I, I don't know whether they do have, or you know, have dirty bombs or whatnot, but they are not going to use it in a way that we will be seen as the aggressor. That's the key point here. They will not use it to be seen as the initial aggressor, knowing full well that the ramifications will be quite severe. Now. If there's a, say, false flag event where Israel basically says, oh, we've been attacking, it was blamed on Israel, and somehow there's plutonium or uranium or some type of uh, outlawed chemical device that was used. And Iran goes on the defensive right away saying, no, it wasn't us, but the ramifications won't be as severe, but there'll be a response. So I think that's what's going to make the difference here. I know that years ago when Obama was the president, um, The one decent thing he did, and he's one of the most criminal presidents we've ever had, uh, criminally inclined, was that he tried to build relations with the Iranian government. And this actually led to a fallout between Netanyahu and Obama. But during the end, one of the last things Obama did was give the largest financial aid deal package to uh, Israel itself, which set the president. Now, every year, we always give them the biggest deal package they've ever gotten. Um, but no, I, w- I would say that they probably don't. But if they do, I think it's uh, um, for defensive reasons only.
1: And, and and what do you think about uh, McGregor saying Russia's getting like if I mean, God forbid we get into a war with Iran, but like, you know, really, God forbid we get into a war with Russia. So do you think Russia is there a world where Russia sits it out?
0: Yes, and the only reason why I'm saying that is that uh, I'm not nowhere near as astute as McGregor, but um, I would say this: that um, Russia is already overexpended, expending their uh, resources for this conflict in Ukraine and Lushank and Dumbas. I don't think they could afford uh, defending a a huge war such as that. I, if it was something like Syria, for example, where they can get involved in bombing certain, you know, locals and and militant hotspots, sure. But in a regional war like that, they I don't think they can afford uh to have uh to come to the defense of Iran. I could be wrong, but I don't think at this point they, they can.
1: And by the way, the IDF just today uh bombed Syria.
0: I don't know if you guys saw that, but Yes. They bombed uh they also bombed their airport, two of the airports as well. Yeah, That's McGregor. right.
1: Yeah, that, that I think was was even last week. But this was yep. there was a specific statement that they um, targeted military infrastructure mm-hmm. uh, today, which was a scary escalation to see. Yeah,
2: and I'm seeing. Uh, I think McGregor was saying uh, maybe that was today that uh, that some of our special forces guys were already down on down there in Palestine. So, I mean, we're already somewhat. Although I guess I'm not really surprised. Uh, one of somebody in the chat brought up uh, Israel denied visit to Zelensky, and Putin says he knows a lot of Jews, and they say Zelensky is a disgrace to Jews. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that, so I don't know if maybe, I mean, if Zelensky is and Israel are kind of nicks I don't know that might lend more credence to, you know, is or Zelensky or Ukraine and Russia just stay out of it altogether because they got their own shit to deal with, and it sounds like they don't really want anything to do with it anyways. Uh, I don't know if I don't really follow the uh, the social graces of politicians. so I, I don't know. Although that, I guess that would be kind of important to show who's kind of, you know, locking arms with who. So I, I don't know if that's legit or not. I would assume. That, I, uh,
1: so I, I don't know the latter part of that where he said something about like Zelensky's a disgrace. To Jews. I have, I have no idea what he's talking about there. I don't think Israel said anything like that in a statement. Yeah. But Zelensky did ask. Early on in the war, Zelensky was like, Hey, can I come over there? Like, help you guys out, show support. And they did say, No, now's not the time, or something like that. And my read on that was just Zelensky's obviously trying to get in front of a camera and talk about his war. And Israel, I think that was so transparent that Israel was like, No, 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 not right now, man. Don't, don't, you're not going to
2: see our thunder. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Well, all right, guys, uh, we're at an hour 20, uh, so I think we've kind of hit on a lot. If there's anything else you guys want to go into, feel free to let me know, but I think we kind of hit the gambit of a lot of stuff. Uh, War is bad, guys. <laughs> uh, but uh, I guess if you guys want to go around and drop your plugs, and if there's anything else you want to bring up, we can now. I'm not trying to rush us out of here or anything. But uh, I guess, Liam, let people know where they can find you.
1: Um, basically just on Twitter and the and the handles right there, at Cosgrove underscore IV. <laughs> um yeah that that's about it um adam it was great to meet you and jose good to meet you in in person here sort of or at least talk we've (laughs) messaged frequently but um yeah adam let's definitely keep in touch let me know about the urban moving systems guy because if you need someone on the ground to go bother that guy i'm really happy to do it that's that's i think one of the most fascinating stories and um i i forget i wrote a couple other things down i'll probably dm you about later but uh yeah, really. Thanks for having us on, Jose. This is fun.
2: Oh yeah, no, a lot of fun. I'm glad to link you guys up. Uh, I told you in the in, in DMs before that hey, Adam would make a hell of a stringer. Uh, for those who aren't aware with like journalism, it's kind of like uh, now. Let's say if I was to get into actual writing, I'm not the OKC uh, expert. I would rely a lot on Richard Booth to help me with odds and ends, and that's what you call a stringer in the journalism business. Somebody kind of helps you out with your expert you go to for Scott Horton safe. That would be a uh, Sheldon Richmond for Israel type stuff. It's, you know, th- that kind of guy, kind of like your go to expert. So, uh, you know, I'm glad to have linked you guys up. I uh, hope you guys stay in touch because I think there's a lot of cool stuff that can happen there. Adam, yeah. you want to let people know where they can find you. I've been following your stuff a lot recently, uh, just cause you have been giving almost daily updates on what's going on. So it's been good to keep me informed.
0: Yeah, no, hey, listen, thanks for even watching and paying attention to this event, because I think it's going to, I think every day I'm going to be doing a a new update video, but um, I'm actually doing a double of work, so I don't have the time. But nevertheless, Liam, it was a pleasure. Um, Yeah, let's keep uh, contact with that, uh, because now I'm more, I think I'm more, uh, because of my chapter reading with the Jail Shame Memorandum, I'm more interested in uh, learning more about the removal systems, and uh, I'll see what I get with that landlord. And also, yeah, I mean, like I said before, Adam Fitzgerald, 9-11. Just uh, put that in the Google search bar, come up, and um, I'm easy to find. On Twitter, if you go to my homepage, and I have everything pinned up there, all of my sites up there, and, of course, I'm the co-host of the Dark
2: Awesome. i was glad glad to have you guys on. This was the No Way Jose show. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. Boost it up in the Algos. If you want to follow me, it's at Tower Gang Jose. If you want to support me, patreon.com. It's No Way Jose 2020. I'd appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get merch, uh, toplobs.com. Use Jose at checkout. Uh, get them Yiki shirts. Get them Trendy shirts. With that, we are out of here. Beow, 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 beow.